welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I'm joined by licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Lindsay Dugali, to discuss signs and symptoms of dyslexia across the lifespan. Hi, Dr. Dugali. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We're excited to have you here. So let's start off by having you just introduce yourself, tell us about who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so, so yes, I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I have my own private practice now where I exclusively focus on testing. Um, so I provide full range of testing services from, you know, targeted ADHD testing, um, to psychoeducational testing, which really focuses more on, um, cognitive and learning, um, differences more for school purposes. Um, and then I also provide more comprehensive neuropsychological evaluations where we're really, you know, diving deep into everything, you know, intelligence, attention, memory, learning, how one is just processing information, um, as well as the social and emotional factors at play. Um, so diagnostically, I see a lot of dyslexia, um, and other learning disabilities, ADHD, autism, anxiety. I would say those are sort of the, the bulk of, of what I, um, see and what I specialize in. Cool. And remind me, where is your practice like in the world? Yeah. So my, um, it's in Chevy Chase, Maryland, um, and not yet serving um Virginia and DC, although I do, of course, it's all very close. So oh, I, yeah. I do so feel, I mean I see a lot of clients that live there, but I do not have offices there. Right. Um but but yes, I work with clients kind of all over the DMV. Awesome. Okay. And so if people were trying to find you online, where would they go? Yep. So my website, um I don't do you want me to kind of yeah spell it? <laughs> I feel like when I say it it gets um so it's psych testing the number four kids.com. Okay, perfect. I'll yeah. add that in the show notes and then people can click. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. That'd be great. Fabulous. righty. Well, let's just hop into everything. And you know that we do dyslexia here at the reading and language learning center, but it's always good to start off with basis. So what's dyslexia? Yes. So it, in the most simplest terms. It is a specific learning disability that primarily impacts reading, Um, but there are many secondary impacts that we'll talk about today. Um, But, you know, from a neurological perspective, um, dyslexia is, you know, there are brain-based differences basically in how how the brain is wired differently to sort of process language information. Um, so what that means is sort of non-dyslexic learners, they learn to read, um, by first learning kind of how the speech sounds of our language make up words, right? So Mm -hmm. that's phonological awareness. And then, you know, as they get a little bit older, they learn to connect sounds with letters, which is the phonics. And then of course, later on, they're learning to blend those sounds into words. And then eventually with enough exposures, to that same word and process, it forms sort of that automatic recognition or a sight word. Right. So for dyslexic learners, um, they, you know, fundamentally have more trouble with 
phonological awareness and phonics. And so that that difficulty is sort of reflecting the differences in how their brain is wired. So there's underactivation in the parts of the brain um, that we use for reading. Um, so without getting super nerdy on like te- <laughs> you know, the terms of the brain, right. uh, basically it just means that dysle- it's not that dyslexics will not learn to read ever without intervention. It's just that it's almost like the brain is like taking a detour to access that information. And so it's taking longer. It's more effortful um, to really develop the automaticity that we need to be fluent readers. Right. So I always like to think of it from sort of like a brain, what's happening in our brains, really. Yeah, that's a really good definition. I think it's hard for people to conceptualize dyslexia because they're just like, oh, well, you like reverse your letters or whatever, right? But that is a really, I think, easy to digest way. And it makes a lot more sense when you like break it out like that. So thank you for that description. (laughs) Yeah. And it also, I think, helps to understand why it can, dyslexia can look so different for each person. Um, And as we'll talk about later, how it shows up throughout the lifespan. But for some kids, it might not really even show up until later on, right? Yeah. It also depends on the severity, but there there are a lot of sort of myths out there about dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think a lot of teachers even don't really know what a lot of these signs and symptoms are. Right. So, so yeah, I'm excited to, to talk more about that. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get into like not the origin story, but like how dyslexia kind of comes down the line. So is it hereditary? Yes. So that's actually one of sort of the best, I don't want to say red flags, but sort of markers. Right. Uh, asking about family history is always my number one question. Um, you know, if a parent has it, I think a child has up to a 50% chance right. of having it as well. And so in my household, I'll say my husband is dyslexic. And so from day one, I've been very closely monitoring and honestly, even getting started on early intervention before the signs even showed up because why not? Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then another myth I think that is around is, is, is there a cure for dyslexia? Right. So no, it's a lifelong condition. Um, And honestly, in some ways, I think that's a really great thing because, you know, dyslexia, there is a model of like dyslexia as like, you know, the sea of strengths model, meaning, you know, because people with dyslexia do sort of process and look at the world differently, that comes with a lot of very unique qualities and strengths. So in a way, right. we don't want to like wish away all of those wonderful things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it there are interventions, obviously remediation and accommodations that absolutely will help kids overcome the reading challenges. Right. Um, some things may always, you know, persist and be a little bit harder, which we'll talk about. Um, but the strengths definitely persist and that's yeah. also incredible. Yeah. So you mentioned the like red flags or other signs. What are those in like early childhood? Yes. So, um, so again, not every person is going to present with each and every one of those signs, but really the first signs in some, again, not everyone 
emerge before we even ever ask or expect kids to be reading because again, you know, dyslexia is language based. So some of the earliest signs can even emerge just with oral, oral speaking. So some, not all, some dyslexics are later to talk. Okay. Uh, some will have sort of oral, uh, like mispronunciations of words beyond the point that we would, you know, we would expect kids maybe right. kindergarten to start um, kind of outgrowing some of those cute things like paschetti or spaghetti or aminol or animal, um, you know, multi-syllable words, the sequence of sounds can, can be confused. Mm. Um, and then another, uh, kind of oral, um, sign is rhyming. Yeah. And that's a precursor to understanding the sounds and words. And so by probably kindergarten age, we're expecting, you know, kids to be able to understand and produce rhymes. So having difficulty with rhyming is a key, um, sign, but then, you know, getting into kindergarten, first grade, um, some key signs here is, you know, not recognizing or being able to name letters and letter Mm -hmm. sounds and writing letters as well, because dyslexia has its roots. And again, the sequencing one sign, um, that people may not know about necessarily is like difficulty sequencing days of the week or months of the year, sort of like list learning. Um, A lot of kids with dyslexia also have working memory issues. So sequencing of steps, you know, in a morning routine, remembering that sequence, those are just some, some signs that don't necessarily have to do with reading, but can certainly be there. Um, but more specific to reading, just, you know, difficulty decoding in the early years, decoding, you know, simple words like cat, right. dad, and then difficulty retaining sight words. So learning mm-hmm. and retaining. So a lot of times I'll hear parents say, you know, we're reading together on one page and she knows that that word was cat or I told her it was cat. And then she sees it on the next page and it's like, she's never seen the word before. Yeah. So that difficulty with um, retention of, of new sight words. Um, and then, you know, as kids are reading, you know, a little bit more fluently, you're going to see a lot of oral reading errors. And so some common errors here include a lot of guessing. So, you know, if they're, if they see the word, um, special for instance and they're they're like okay i recognize that sp and i know what that sound is but the rest right. of the, you know the other internal details of the word you know are not really clicking and so right. you'll will have um kids will guess right so they might say space instead mm-hmm. letter sequences can be flipped so like left and felt or um, cloud and could, you know, so all of those letters are there, but they're sort of jumbled. And again, that's not a vision issue, right? right? They're seeing 2020, but it's like access to what that, that stored, you know, right in the brain. Another oral reading error that, um, happens actually a lot is over-relying on context cues. And so kid, especially if there's pictures, right. They, and they're reading a sentence and they see the picture, even if there's not pictures, but they get the gist of the rest of the sentence, but the one word they might just, let's say it's, you know, 
I saw a horse or I saw a pony and there's a picture of a horse, they would say, I saw a horse because they're like, right. I got the picture. You know, that's a sign that they're not actually reading, but they're focused right. on the context and sort of memorization. Um, and a little bit older kids, I, I almost always see this, which is confusing the small words when they're reading. Oh, the, that, a, and, is, she, he, these either get substituted for each other or just get completely skipped or inserted. Same with like word endings, like the ED and S. So, you know, there's a lot of theories. I've, I've read a lot of reports where that's sort of assumed to be an ADHD inattentive reading error. Hmm. Uh, and maybe that is true for some, but I see this so often in dyslexia. Um, my theory is when you're focused so much on decoding some of the bigger words, the words that carry meaning for the sentence, mm-hmm. you know, there's just not enough cognitive resources available to really pay attention to the smaller words. Right. So let's see, obviously spelling is also implicated in dyslexia. Yeah. Um, And so usually kids are beyond the age that this is typical continuing to spell phonetically. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, about 50% of the words in the English language are not spelled with that perfect one-to-one correspondence. Right. But kids with dyslexia are just not picking up, you know, they're not going to pick up on the right. stuff, just mere exposure. They really need the explicit instruction and taught the rules. Right. Um, so a couple more in the early years, you might also see some symbol confusion and math. So, oh. you know, mixing up pluses and minuses. Right. And then just on the like social emotional side, you're going to see avoidance of reading. You're going to see frustration, anxiety, and another thing is that young kids don't really have the words or just even understand what's happening when they're trying to read. Right. And so many will tell their parents or teachers that, you know, reading causes them headaches or the words are jumping around or moving on the page. And of course, I think that sounds, you know, alarm bells for uh, vision. And right. so a lot of parents, you know, go and get a vision assessment. Um, and that's not to say that there, you know, in some cases there are comorbid, uh, vision issues, like a, you know, convergence insufficiency, in which case vision therapy may be helpful, but it's still not going to cure dyslexia because dyslexia is not a vision problem. Um, so when, if, if you're hearing a child, you know, complain about either headaches or just something is not, you know, words are jumbled or moving. Um, certainly you can rule out the vision, but I would also be thinking about dyslexia in that case. Yeah. Wow. Those are really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also like, one thing I want to know is that you never said they'll confuse B and D they'll confuse P and Q. You know what I mean? Because those are such, um, every time someone like thinks of what dyslexia is, that's like the only thing they can really say. Right. right. Um, and it's so many other things like you just said, and especially right. with stuff where they're not even reading yet. I think those are really good signs to look out for, um, yeah. that are so much easier to identify than like focusing so hard on like, Oh, are you reading this correctly? Or stuff yeah. like that. And the, and the B's and D's, P's and Q's that, that can be confused. Right. Um, and I think it goes both sides. I think some some teachers 
say that's very normative, which it is, but maybe it's they think it's normative beyond when it really is, but it's all a spectrum. So right. it's normative, but to what degree is the child struggling to make those mental representations of the letter and the way that, that the letter looks. Right. So that's, that can be a sign, but yes, it's not, it's not the only, only sign. sign for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate all the, the other things that you shared. Um, so we talked about like, earlier on, and I think we got up to like maybe early elementary, like mid, mid early elementary years. So let's look at everywhere. If you don't mind, Um, how does dyslexia impact a person at like toddler, preschool, kindergarten, and then keep going? Right. So I feel like we probably covered that earlier years, but sort of maybe starting later elementary or middle you know, you're going to see in terms of reading, um, you know, all of the things I mentioned before can persist, mm-hmm. but you're going to see more probably with reading, slower reading, um, just, you know, slower, um, more avoidance, mm-hmm. probably more anxiety about reading aloud. Right. Um, and then really struggling to decode and learn new vocabulary or new, mm-hmm. especially new academic, you know, words that are multi-syllable right. that they've never seen before because, you know, they don't have those word attack skills to really break it down. Right. And so, because again, kids will learn to read, right. It's just not going to be as fluent. And again, there's going to be more errors um, when they come across unfamiliar words. Right. Um, and then you may with on the writing side, the spelling errors and the grammar errors will absolutely begin to be a bigger, um, problem and probably note-taking is another one. I I see a lot of kids that struggle, um, to keep up with the note-taking in class and then getting, you know, ideas onto paper, right. Organized fashion. Now, you know, we're kind of crossing over into dysgraphia a little bit, but they're, you know, closely, um, tied together there. Um, and then, oh, foreign language is another big one. So kids are sometimes exposed to it very early on in elementary or middle school, but oftentimes in those early years, there's more focus on just like speaking the language. Mm -hmm. But as we get into like reading and writing the language, it is the really often going to struggle. Um, some do better with Spanish because it tends to be a little bit more phonetic. Mm -hmm. Um, but some even struggle, you know, to learn, to learn Spanish. There's some research out there that says, um, like Chinese or Japanese may be easier to learn because, you know, it's the symbols are easier, um, and they're more visual in nature, more like pictorial rather than language-based. But certainly, you know, you're you're gonna see signs more as you get older on spelling and writing, I think, too. Yeah. And that that really gives you an indication of the command of the English language. Right. But then, you know, in adulthood, so you know, if I'm seeing people, maybe I'm I'm I've diagnosed a child and the parent is like, wow, like I feel like, you know, you're asking me so many questions. It, it feels like my experience as a child, or these are right. things I still struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in adulthood, I think the the fluency, so just continuing to be slower, continuing to be um not to not enjoy reading for pleasure, right? Or have a preference for for audiobooks 
Right. Is, is a big one continuing to be a poor speller. I think I, I said, so, you know, my husband is dyslexic, very bright and successful, but I have to sort of edit his emails and, you know, right. his, his writing because that spelling and grammar is just, you know, not, does not come easily even still. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and ha- do you have experience with like students that go off to college and like, maybe they've known they've had dyslexia for a while, or maybe they're just now finding out, but like, what does that end up looking like? Do they come to you and they say like, Oh no, what do they say? I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, if you've gotten that far in life without a diagnosis or just identification at all, they've developed compensatory strategies. Um, and so, it may not even be on the radar. Oftentimes they're coming to me for ADHD and I'm like, right. well, let's do the full thing. Make sure we don't miss anything. And it's like, wow, like you really have dyslexia. Yeah. And it's usually a validating moment um, because it's like, wow, I've always noticed or I've always known that there's this disconnect. Um, it was always, you know, harder for me um, to keep up, right? I was always right. a slower reader or like I always ran out of time on tests um, or, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible speller. And I always just thought it was because I didn't pay attention to spelling or, you know, because right. I was ADHD or that, you know, so there's a lot of like compensatory strategies that are developed over the years. Um, but, but the signs are there. And mm-hmm. I think it's usually a really validating experience to know, like there's a name, there's a label, there's a reason. Right. Um, and how amazing are you that, you know, you've compensated so well. Right. Wow. Very interesting. And leading into the next thing I was going to ask you, like you finally notice in college or however old you are that you, you know, you're having this issue. and so is it that it's getting worse with age or is it just that you've just started to notice it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I don't think dyslexia gets worse with age again, because humans do adapt. And so, you know, we, we learn how we learn strategies that will work for us. Um, But the achievement gap absolutely widens with time, you know? And so um, often if you're, didn't get a diagnosis, I would, I would imagine there's some underachievement that's happening, um, or something I didn't mention actually. Yeah. Which is really important is dyslexics actually take sometimes like two to three times longer than their peers to get through homework, right? Right. Not all dyslexics, because again, there's a wide variance here and processing speed plays a role. And, you know, if you have high process, very fast processing speed, that's another compensatory strategy that's going to work to your advantage, but, you know, average or slower processing speed and dyslexia, it's going to take a long time to get through homework. So that, that's another sign that I've seen, um, is that it's like, wow, it's taking my child, like, five hours to do their homework at night. I don't know what's going on. Um, maybe they're not focused, you know, so the, the achievement gap will widen with time. Our brains are most plastic early on. So that means that, you know, early intervention is very, very helpful early on. We actually want to see it between ages like four and seven, if possible, but that rarely happens because, um, you know, usually when, you know, it's usually like 
third grade, I would say is third or fourth grade is really when these things, you know, you're having that shift from learning to read. Now you're, you're reading to learn. And that's, that's the time when really, you know, kids are struggling across the board academically, but without this early intervention, yeah, the, the gap will widen with time. So it's not that dyslexia is getting worse. It's just that, um, you know, there's more demands as we go on in school. And so, you know, it depends on the, uh, the, the individual's kind of unique profile of strengths and weaknesses. If there's enough kind of, if there's sheer intelligence and effort and a lot of other great strengths, memory, whatever, then they're probably going to get by for longer without really needing um, help. But all, all people hit a wall at some point where, you know, the strategies they've developed are no longer enough to really either, either get by or help them reach their potential, right? There's usually that disconnect between what they're capable of and where they're actually performing. Yeah. And that, I mean, that sounds like it can be frustrating. So what's the, like the psychosocial impact on dyslexia if it's left like untreated? Right. Oh yeah. So, I mean, there's a big impact. Um, I I mean, again, it's going to differ depending on the person, but even in the early years, I mean, um, with reading and writing, there's such a, that's such a core part of early education, the focus mm-hmm. of early education. And so I would say dyslexics experience a huge hit to their self-esteem very early on. Um, you know, they often feel dumb or feel inadequate or inferior mm-hmm. to their peers and they construct, you know, stories about what's wrong with them and, you know, being stupid or dumb could couldn't be further, you know, from the truth. Right. Um, but they'll feel that disconnect, right? That, you know, they might not be able to talk about the Harry Potter series that all their friends are reading because they're not really able to read the text yet. Um, and again, audiobooks is a huge help here. Yeah. But but there's a lot of anxiety and inadequacy that that can happen with a delayed diagnosis. Yeah. Since we are all, like, you know, we're trying to figure out how to better that situation and across the board for dyslexics, how do they learn best so that they can then, you know, have more confidence in all of those things? Yes. So I I think in general, people with dyslexia are very creative learners. Um, Unfortunately, traditional school tends to be a little bit more focused on sort of rote facts and regurgitation and teach to the test. And many dyslexics just find that boring. Right. (laughs) That's a shared quality with ADHD. Um, But it's like stifling to their creativity. And, you know, so they really do learn best one through just multi-sensory instruction. So, you know, visuals, hands-on materials, um, discussion-based instruction is great too, to really help them utilize their communication skills, because right. usually they are great, like oral communicators, um, helps them develop critical thinking skills, which is right. another strength, you know, teaching and helping them connect concepts through meaning and like relevance to their lives rather than just, you know, rote facts, Right, um, I think is good. And um, just allowing for more processing time um, and not not necessarily because of slow processing, but because many dyslexics do have sort of a retrieval 
right? Um, deficit. So, okay. you know, in part of working memory could be part of sort of that rapid automatic naming deficit where it takes kind of a little bit longer to access information stored in their memory. Right. And so, you know, there, there is a lot of stored knowledge there. These kids are really bright, really intelligent, but they may need a little bit more time to sort of organize and access right. the things that they know. Right. Um, and we mentioned this earlier, but how important is early intervention? Yes. So, you know, it's, it's very important. Evidence-based early intervention can sort of reorganize, rewire the brain um, so that children do develop the areas of the brain um, that are critical for reading fluency. So it, it's critical, but it's never too late either. Okay. Um, you know, so even older adults can, you know, benefit from intervention. So it's never too late, but, you know, earlier will just make the remediation process move a little bit faster. Right. And what's the first step if someone like thinks their child might have dyslexia? I would say, you know, you do not have to wait to, for your child to fail or even just fall behind their peers to get an evaluation. So for, if there are parents listening, I would say, you know, trust your gut. If you feel like, you know, if you're noticing several of these signs I've mentioned, or if you just feel like there's a disconnect, like I know my child um, works hard and is bright and they're they're just not performing up to what I know they're capable of. Right. You know, or why are, you know, why are we seeing tears every time we sit down to read a book when they love, you know, they love listening to stories or, you know, any of these signs, you know, you don't have to wait until third, fourth, fifth grade. You, you can get an evaluation earlier and at least identify kind of strengths and potential red flags, even if it's too early for a definitive diagnosis, because that information can then, you know, be utilized for intervention and for accommodations right. in school. Yeah. So I would say, you know, find an evaluator that understands dyslexia, right? Because it can present differently. It can be, you know, nuanced. Um, and, you know, a private evaluation absolutely is more costly than going through right. school, but it really is this, you know, investment in your child's future, you know, a roadmap um, to help them be as successful as possible. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Do you have any, I think that was my like last question for you, but okay. do you have anything else you want to add? I I feel like that was really, um, I hope that was thorough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, no, but I, if you wanted to put my email yeah. um, out too. So if there are any questions that, that parents or whoever's listening have for me, then I'd be happy yeah, to that'd be great. You know, respond via email. Yeah. Perfect. I'll add that to the show notes as well. Okay, sure. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much to the audience for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a little rating and review. It helps other folks find the podcast and we'll chat with you next time. 